0: To remove a stain from a piece of cloth, a white cloth, you would get a spot cleaner or soak it in strong detergent of some kind to remove the stain. In this practice, when we watch, when we observe the mind, we can see where the struggling, where the suffering, where the stains of the mind arise. We observe how they arise. We see how the mind and body contract at different points loud noise, a sharp word, a spicy flavor, tension, an unpleasant feeling, fear, the many impingements on the mind or the body. And consciousness picks these up in different ways. Habitually, without mindfulness. But once we start to practice mindfulness and develop that, whatever hindrances arise in response to the uh, impressions, sense impressions, at the five sense doors and consciousness, And whatever feelings arise in response to those impressions, whether pleasant, painful, or neither neither pleasant nor painful, we develop skill in removing the stains, like the uh, frustration when we can't shake uh, a sense of anger or bitterness about something. Or when the mind is obsessed with the past or the future, and the thoughts just won't stop. And we get restless, anxious, or bored, or hankering for something. wanting to sleep longer, or eat more, or go for a walk when we're supposed to sit. The Buddha compared uh, the five hindrances to different states. For example, with sense-desire He compared it to uh, a man in debt, someone who's pressured by this feeling of a great debt that he can't pay off, constantly trying to work things out to pay off this debt, having this thing hanging over you. like the incessant chipping away at our ability to focus on the present because of this debt, wanting to get this debt paid off its a pressure, or wanting to uh, be free of this debt. And he compared anger to someone with a fever, instead of the pressure coming from outside or a pain in the tummy driving us to grab something to eat, anger acts more like uh, a heat exploding or violating a violence coming from within us, like a grenade being detonated over and over again. And we can't soothe it, or calm it, or restrain it. And then the the restlessness in the mind is compared to the feeling of being a slave. Picture someone in days gone by or even nowadays a slave is driven by their master to go here and go there work feverishly, tirelessly with, without much compensation with nothing to look forward to just the end of the day and then the next day, you're being driven again to do (gasps) burdensome tasks, unpleasant work, for the benefit of someone else, and having no choice. So restlessness and agitation of the mind is like this pressure coming from uh, outside or inside, driving us from one point to another and back again in a kind of meaningless, uh, agitated way. We can't find a good resting spot. The mind cannot settle. Is anxious, it's worried, it's also it's driven and then dullness in the mind is like someone in prison in a dark damp place no light you just want to curl up and sleep or die numb out not be alive We're just exhausted and bored, and can't be bothered to move, no initiative, heavy. And then doubt is like a person who has no medicine. That's the literal translation of Wichikicha is someone without direction, doesn't have the dhamma medicine, doesn't know the way, and can't take a risk. Someone in the wilderness, you go back to the forest and follow the trail, and you lose your way. And you can't think which which way to turn to go back. Just this sense of being... Lost and confused, and can't get up enough courage to make a choice or take a risk. Wavering, insecure, not trusting. So, in each of these cases, there's a stain in the mind. And we're looking for a way to purify, clean, rub out, dissolve that stain. And we know what it feels like to be driven by any of these hindrances, or ruled by any of them. When they take up consciousness, that's what's in charge. greed is like this. It creates a pressure and a wanting. And we also know what does it feel like when that desire, that thirst, that hunger is satisfied. There's an ease that comes with that. And the same with anger. What does it feel like when the fever goes back down. Someone was angry and then they forgive you. Or you feel upset about something and then you realize it was nothing at all. Anger is gone. The mind is peaceful, at ease. Or when we feel very restless, we have to make an important decision and just can't figure it out. Or then we pick up a project that we don't really want to do. So we go to the next thing. And we feel anxious, worried. What's going to happen? What did happen? How will things work out? It's almost like a, a low form of anger or, agi- or aversion, with a bit of doubt mixed in, very restless, unable to find a place of peace. And, and then we settle and we, we suddenly feel everything's been resolved. We know what we need to do. We feel a lot of energy. And motivation. We want to sit and practice, walk and practice, or take care of what needs to be taken care of. In this case, taking care of the chitta, being very mindful, conscientious. And what happens when we wake up out of our sleepy morning sit, listen to the lovely hammers, the building coming up for yogis to be, maybe one of us someday. And we feel like we've come into the light, shaken off that heaviness, stand up straight. We feel well, And joyful, ready to do what needs to be done. Ready to watch, to wake up. Waking up, being free from jail, a mental prison. And then the, the person lost in the forest suddenly sees a marker on a tree and goes, aha, This is the way out, this is the way back to IMS, back to the building, back to the retreat, or back home. So when the stains of the mind are apparent if we're not practicing we don't notice. But when we stop to examine our inner laundry, the internal mess or smelly pile of uh, collected wreckage from um, living with an untrained mind and we see that we're in trouble, there are are ways that we can clarify. Clarify in the sense of clean out. Wash. Cleanse the mind. Brighten it and make it beautiful. Actually, we don't have to make it anything. We just have to remove the stain and then the cloth is white. So removing the stains of the mind, the Buddha gave us the uh, list of seven factors of enlightenment. And it's interesting that in these seven factors are included four of the mental faculties, four of the mental powers that enable us to wake up to the fact that there is something to be done. There is work to be done, and here is the way to do it. And of course the first one is sati, satindriya, the faculty or the mental power of mindfulness is the very first factor of enlightenment. without mindfulness, right mindfulness, the mindfulness that sees a stain and knows, has enough panya or wisdom to know that that can be removed. That's not the true nature of the mind. And so we know we're not seeing the mind, we're just seeing the stain. It can be removed. And if we observe it carefully, we begin to see its its dissolution. First it's there, then we observe it, observe it, eventually we see that it, it has no substance at all. So Sati working together with panya. And panya, the the faculty of wisdom. Uh, is described in terms of a factor of enlightenment as investigation Dhammavichaya this investigation is the very exploration that we do by using sati over and over and over again. Being mindful observing the object and letting it go. So the Satipanya is, in this case, mindfulness and (coughs) clear comprehension in the sense of investigation. It's a clear knowing. Ah, a stain, and we let it go. And this happens very quickly in Vipassana. In the beginning, we struggle to do this, but as we practice day after day, it gets easier. So then we're able to see the object because we're directing our attention towards it with sati, picking up the object, then knowing it, knowing it clearly, and letting it go. And the third factor is wirya, energy. This is also a faculty, a mental power. And it is, it's just that. It's the power to keep on examining our experience with mindfulness and wisdom. We have to do this continuously. With mindfulness we look, with investigation we know, and then we let it go. We let it be. We know it as it is. We don't try to change it or manipulate it, control it, whether we like it or not. The liking and disliking eventually subsides as satipanya develops and matures. We start to see things just as phenomena, in consciousness, arising and ceasing arising and ceasing, the endless flow and if we do this with uh, full-hearted energy eventually practicing as we have been here for a few days now and ease settles into the body, the mind becomes more and more polished, like a beautiful shell, cleansed and bright. And we're waking up, the energy of waking up, the vidya bodhanga. it's an enlightenment factor develops into uh, happiness, joy, pity. So when we see the, the mind, the true mind, the luminous mind, the true nature of the mind, we feel such joy, such a release, like someone led out of prison, Or, like someone whose debt has been paid off. Or, like someone who has been given their freedom, having been a slave all their lives. Or, like someone who had a terrible fever and then finally it subsided. And they could get up and go back to work, take up their duties. And as we continue to practice, the fact the um, enlightenment factor of bliss becomes more and more refined and settles into tranquility. This is a pasadi bojangha. We're waking up at a deeper and deeper level, not so excited about it now. So it settles the mind. When the mind is excited, uh, the energy is much stronger than when we're just serene and happy. Of serenity. When you're developing the samatha practice, the maturity of jhana happens in stages from the state of vitakka vichara, picking up the object and knowing it, which matures into this blissful feeling that then matures the ripening of our understanding, the ripening of the, the bhavana, cultivation of the mind, citta-bhavana, is when the seclusion of heart becomes ever stronger. We've touched on the, the joy, the very, very deep, pleasant, pleasurable feeling of the practice. But this is a, a very pure state quite different than worldly or sense-pleasure. But this factor of enlightenment is like oil in an engine. Without it, the process of waking up is not complete. It cannot be completed. But eventually that matures to uh, more tranquil peaceful sense of happiness. And these two, uh, this well-being in the body and well-being in the mind, then ripen into samadhi, where the mind is absolutely still and firm, secure. It has this quality of so, uh, like a mountain being like a mountain. It doesn't want to move in any direction. It's very content. Now all of these factors of enlightenment that I've just mentioned uh, are present and rise up together to then manifest as equanimity. that uh, once we experience the samadhi, factor of enlightenment, then out of that, the mind responds to whatever stimulus comes, not with indifference, but with, with mindfulness, with comprehension, wisdom, knowing this is how things are. This is the nature of consciousness things coming and going, coming and going into the mind, and not grasping for anything. Then we see that the same thing happens with the body at the sense doors, a constant arising and ceasing of sense impressions. So we have the third insight of codependent arising. The codependency is the mind depending on the body and the body depending on the mind. Two processes hooked together, independent of each other, but arising codependently in terms of process, not content. Mental process and physical process. The mind knowing the body and the mind knowing the mind, with objects appearing in consciousness. The mind arises due to these objects. Consciousness, sorry, not the mind. Consciousness of an object arises because the object presents itself. But then when clarity of knowing appears and the mind is completely empty purified then the mind knows the mind consciousness knowing itself and this upeka eventually ripens into full awakening these these seven factors of enlightenment are complete healing. The body cannot actually be healed, but we can feel complete peace with the body. Even if we were to get over our sickness, the body is subject to old age, sickness and death. But the mind can fully awaken and with full awakening, the hindrances will not return. This is why vipassana is so important as the corollary to samatha practice. Because with samatha practice, we can keep the hindrances at bay for a short time. Maybe for hours, even a few weeks or months. But as long as we're practicing at a certain level of intensity. But without the seventh factor of enlightenment, the Upeka maturing completely through the different stages of insight into the true nature of the mind, true nature of the body, true nature of existence then we're always attaching to one experience or another and the hindrances arise again so with this complete set of seven factors of enlightenment we have the possibility to free ourselves from the hindrances once and for all And we can do this by degrees. First, purifying uh, view, right view. No longer believing that there is a solid self. Not believing, we might not believe it, but actually knowing without a doubt that there is no such thing. We have understood, intuitively understood, not believing in rites and rituals, and having complete faith in the Triple Gem. Also, attenuating greed and hatred, so we would never break the five precepts intentionally. We try to keep them. And if there's uh, any transgression, we would immediately repair it. But there would be no course There'd be no possibility of committing very coarse and harmful deeds intentionally. One could never uh, intentionally kill someone, etc. And then at the second stage of purification, the greater attenuation of uh, greed, and hatred, having completely overcome delusion. But there's still um, a bit of... There's still ill will. So we don't completely purify ill will and greed yet, until the level of anagami. And then at the level of arahant, even this sense of uh, the sense of mana, of, of this self conceit completely is completely expunged. this is the, one of the most important um, factors of, or aspects of right view, is to trust that this pa- path is possible for all of us. It's not just something that the Buddha did, or that um, select beings over the centuries, have been able to do when they go off into the forest, and disappear from the world. But this is something that everyone who, who puts their mind to it, and who has the ability to develop right view, can accomplish. We have to trust. This is the faith indriya, faith sadha has to be developed. And we develop it just by seeing. Until we've seen the clean cloth, we don't believe that we can really do the laundry properly. We get discouraged and go around with the smelly, clothing, and wonder what's wrong? Where is the smell coming from? We're just carrying it around with us. The opportunity to settle and grow in these factors of enlightenment, is a a great blessing, not just for us, but for the world. So when we feel discouraged, we have to coach ourselves by remembering this is a time-trodden path. There is a path, and we're on it. We're on it, and we can walk it. And we have a map to follow. It's a very clear map. Just keep putting in the causes and conditions, and the path will open up in front of us. One of the chants that we do as monastics is called the Bhojanga Sutta. And this chant is traditionally done when people are unwell, suffering from disease. And it was chanted at the time of the Buddha, actually for the Buddha himself. And it it has this listing in it of these factors of enlightenment so that a reminder or a recollection to us of how waking up from the hindrances, from where we're caught in samsara, waking up from the suffering of the world, which we carry in our minds and bodies, and understanding the, the true nature of what we are or what we're not, is a way of relieving the fevers of the mind and the body, and brings wholeness It's like a purgative. When Ajahn Chah came to IMS many years ago, Joseph was reminding us the story of how he saw all the yogis and commented that uh, this was a hospital mental hospital and wished all of them well may you get well may you be well soon so if we if we all recognize that there is dis-ease there is a disease and look for the cleaning agent within us within our own heart rather than looking for someone outside of us to do the laundry for us, then we can get up from our sickbed and become whole and well. But just as we are often blaming conditions, the condition of the mind or the condition of the body, The condition of the world for our suffering, then we just walk around with the hindrances feeling like a hopeless case and uh, sustaining that as an ultimate truth. This is the truth of my life, I'm hopeless. But it isn't true. It's just the current station that we're tuned into and we can change the dial. We can listen to the Dhamma instead, by listening inwardly, connecting to the heart, bringing mindfulness to the breath just starting from there and developing that we have to also remember that the path, the Eightfold Path is made up not only of the wisdom group, right view, and right thought, or right intention, but also uh, we have to practice sila, right speech, right conduct, right livelihood. Without sila, we can't properly develop the cultivation aspects of the path, right effort, right mindfulness, and (coughs) right concentration. So wisdom, to mature, must have dana sila, dana sila samadhi panya. Generosity, virtue, and a very refined virtue that, that we then take inwardly with us. So that purifying the mind is the culmination or the uh, perfection of sila. And this is a lifetime practice. But uh, as John F. Kennedy once said to his gardener who brought him some trees to plant in the garden and said, he asked, how long will it take for them to grow? And the gardener (coughs) said, a hundred years. And the president said, plant them now. So that's what we're doing. Even if all we can do is plant the seeds and water them, if they're good seeds in the right soil, and we take care of them, they will grow and flourish.